Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Good morning. Um, I'm grateful for this opportunity to stand in for Brother Cavender. Uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm not Sean. <laughs> uh, I'd like to say up front that I don't know everything. Uh, so if I teach something that's amiss or incorrect, I would appreciate it if the brethren here would approach me and let me know so we could get that straight because our whole endeavor is to make it to heaven and I won't make it if I'm teaching something that's not true uh, and I would appreciate that um, like I said it's a privilege to be speaking speaking this morning to the brethren here and also to our visitors who have shown an interest in spiritual things we appreciate your attendance <clears throat> So let me just start uh, the title for this morning's lesson is uh, dangerous nations among us so does anybody pay attention to the world news what's going on in the nations around us many nations want to destroy us as Americans but more importantly as Christians in the world today, there are always nations that keep people in despair of danger. Nations today that hold so much ability of destruction in their hands seem to keep us worried of the dangers that might befall us or our children at just any time. But our primary worry should be the dangerous nations among us religiously. For they are always prevalent and very deceitful in their attacking. Today, We'll consider some of these nations by name so we, that we will know them. Abominations. These are loathsome, detestable, abhorrable, abhorrible, repugnant, containing idolatry with all of its pollutions. So we find in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 13 through 16 that we must be honest and fair. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and a just weight, a perfect and a just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Further, we are admonished in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 12, that witchcraft and the like are forbidden. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. 
There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. And we also learn from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, our scripture reading this morning. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. So we should not be or practice any of these. Assassinations. This term comes from the Latin word sicarius or sicca, which means a dagger, a murderer, a bandit, or a robber. And actually, we find that the only place in the New Testament where this word is found is in the book of Acts, chapter 21 and 38. This is the account when Paul is seized by the Jews in the temple and then separated from the crowd and bound by the Roman commander. And from the Roman commander we read in verse 38, Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led... Excuse me. Take that mask off. It's not doing well. <clears throat> stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. However, there are several ways that one can be assassinated. His character, his name, his influence. From Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. So through a lust of riches, one can assassinate a good name. From James chapter 1 and verse 26, one can assassinate his religion with an unbridled tongue. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And then in Titus, chapter 3 and verse 2, we are told not to malign, or in other words, badmouth anyone for any reason. The Apostle Paul admonishes us to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Uh, and also we could turn to James, chapter 4 and verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. <coughs> then we have domination. Domination means to exercise authority over or to rule over. From the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. 
Women are not to exercise authority over men. Uh, from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, we read of the husband, head of the wife, beginning in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Does not mean that he should rule in a dominating way, because from Galatians 3 and 28, we read there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, uh, slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it is no different in a marriage. A marriage is the act of two people becoming one. In authority, the husband is the head of the household, but in status, they are equals because they become one. From 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So this term weaker vessel is not a derogatory term, but a reference to a fine, delicate piece of porcelain. In terms of salvation, they are also one. Though men and women are not made the same by God and they have not been given the same duties to perform or the same authority in life, still, in the eyes of God, they are equals, joint heirs of salvation. From Psalms, chapter 119 and verse 133, the psalmist says, I should not let sin rule over me. From verse 133, establish my footsteps in your word. And do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. And again, in the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul to the Romans, sin should not be a master over us. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And then as another example, we can read in 3 John, chapter uh, 9 through 10, that Diotrephes loves preeminence. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among you, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. And also another example of dominance, from the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4, through 4, we find that elders are not to lord over the flock. Verse 1, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Then we have contamination. In other words, things that are not pure, things that are unclean, things that are polluted or unworthy. From Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we are to be a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So, in other words, without spot or blemish, 
uncontaminated. From James chapter 1 and verse 27, it describes pure religion or not polluted. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Then from Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12, uh, the grace of God teaches us to be unstained from the world. Or, in other words, uh, if we're not unstained from the world, we're stained or polluted. In other words, contaminated. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Then from Psalms, verses, uh, chapter 12 and verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure. The, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And then from Psalms 19 and verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And then finally from 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22, we're told to keep, keep ourselves free from sin. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Otherwise, we're not pure, but we're unclean, and we're contaminated. Then we have discrimination, which means showing partiality to certain ones. From Proverbs chapter 24 and 23, to show partiality in judgment is not good. These things also being belong to the wise, it is not good to show partiality in judgment. Then from Jude 16, it talks about grumblers who make themselves look better than others. Verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Then from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, uh, talks about making a distinction between fine clothes versus rags. We are to treat them the same. In other words, we are to beware of personal favoritism. From verse 1, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Then from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, God does not show partiality, why should we? Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Then we have the term termination, which means a quitting or going back, a stopping of the action, a cutting off. Uh, from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 through 29, we, we learn of uh, those quitting the church. 
Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Those that would quit the church terminate the marriage vow that they have made with Christ. Then in John chapter 6 and verse 66, we find that many turned and walked with him no more. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39, we find that we have need of endurance. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And we have the word denominations. It's a naming of and a distinct setting apart of those under the different names, such as contrary to the prayer made by Christ to his heavenly Father in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Verse 20, beginning, I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them, so that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them just as you love me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, let there be no divisions among you. Verse 10, now I urge you brothers and sisters by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. He further said, Mark them that cause divisions and occasions of stumbling contrary to the doctrine. From Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such people are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 13, Every tree that my father hath not planted shall be rooted up. From verse 13, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. Then we find the psalmist says, 
Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. From Psalms 127 and 1. Condemnation. In other words, pronouncing a judgment or a sentence. Only God has the right to judge. From John 3 and verse 36, we find that he who does not obey is lost. We can admonish, but not condemn. From verse 36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. <clears throat> in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, uh, condemnation for failure to obey. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has not believed will be condemned. From Romans chapter 8, and verse 1, No condemnation for those in Christ. Therefore there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do we not condemn when we determine someone to be unworthy? If someone wants to refuse the gospel, that is their business, but we should at least offer it to them. Once again, only God has the right to judge. Imagination, <clears throat> the mental image, conception, or notion, a creation of the mind, a fanciful or vain notion, a scheme, plot, or project, especially of evil. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, we war against any speculation or thoughts contrary to Scripture. Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your disobedience is when your obedience is fulfilled <clears throat> from proverbs chapter 18 verse 11 we find a man's wealth is in his own imagination verse 11 a rich person's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination from romans chapter 1 verse 21 we find uh, did not obey God because of their own speculations. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. From 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 11, uh, Naaman to Elisha imagined or be, said, behold, I thought, or it seems to me, in other words, from verse 11. But Naaman was furious and went away, and he said, behold, I thought he will certainly come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the site and cure the leprosy. And finally, procrastination. Putting off until some other time the thing that should be done at once to defer or delay. From Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1 we read, 
Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. From Psalms, chapter 119 and verse 60. Hasten and do not delay to keep God's commandments. Uh, the five foolish versions in the New Testament are prime examples of procrastination. From Matthew, chapter 25, verse 1 through 10. Beginning in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who, virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. These, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go to meet the, him. Then all the, those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. From Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, we find that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. From Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, we find that we should not be late in paying our vows. Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Then from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, uh, we find today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow or a later time. From verse 2, for he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, yes, we have many days Excuse me. We have many dangerous nations among us, so we will have to always be on our guard that they do not overpower us. But the last nation mentioned, procrastination, is likely the most dangerous of all. If we conquer this nation and obey the Lord by putting him on in baptism, we will be well on our way to overcoming the other dangerous nations about us. So, finally, turning our thoughts to God and the judgment, there's a song that we sing. There's a great day coming when the saints and the sinners shall be parted right and left. The most deadly serious and solemn thought that a man can contemplate is that of the final day. When this earthly sojourn is over and he must give account to the great judge of the universe for the things that he did or did not do in this life. From 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then also we could compare that with Matthew chapter 25. We must not speculate on this subject for the fun of it, for, for the sake of academic or mental exercise, or for the sake of winning an argument. None of those reasons are serious enough. We are talking about the most crucial moment that a man will ever face. So will there be mercy? 
The song continues, there's a bright day coming, but its brightness shall only come to them that love the Lord. Over and over, we're told that love and obedience go together. From John 14 and 15 and verse 21, from John 15 and verse 14, from 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, from 2 John verse 6, and so on. I'm sure many of us are of the sentiment that we expect to need God's mercy on the day of judgment. Most of, most of us find it easier to refrain from sins of commission, in effect overt forbidden acts, than to avoid sins of omission, leaving undone things we should do, taking advantage of all opportunities. All of Christ's judgment parables were in condemnation for sins of omission, not commission. That Jehovah is a God of mercy, no Bible student will deny. Uh, from Psalms 136 and Ephesians verse two and or chapter two and verse four, uh, we would note that all 26 verses of Psalms 136 exclaim, "For His mercy endures forever." However. Some have taught that there will be no mercy on Judgment Day, for we are living in the time of God's mercy right now. It is true that God is merciful to us daily, sending sunshine, rain, and a host of other blessings on the just and the unjust, from Matthew 5 and verse 45. But it is not true that there will be no mercy at the judgment, for judgment is without mercy to him that hath showed no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. From James 2 and 13. The judgment scene of Matthew chapter 25 hinged on whether the person had been merciful in life. The judgment, Matthew 25 and verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people, in the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't, didn't not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I say to you, 
to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. <clears throat> so from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, we read, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The kind of mercy we extend in, in life is not one of doctrinal mercy. I'm not being merciful to a man when I tell him he can be saved by faith only or can continue to live in adultery. Rather, it has to do with the kindness I show to him as a person. Jesus, James, and Paul gave examples of what they meant, feeding the hungry, hospitality to strangers, not being a respecter of persons, regarding the poor. We could turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. These things distinguish whether we are practicing genuine Christianity or whether our religion is an academic pursuit. However, watering down the gospel to make it more palatable is not an act of mercy. Uh, concerning God's mercy and man's sins. We would hasten to say that if the Lord decides to extend mercy to the unbaptized or the person guilty of one sin of ignorance, that would be just fine. We certainly won't complain or argue. We will rejoice. But in the meantime, what must we teach on those subjects? Whenever God wants us to make an exception to any of his requirements, he has told us what the exception is. For example, we are to obey the laws of the civil government from Romans chapter 13 and 11 and 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 to 15. However, he has given us an exception. When there is a conflict between the laws of men and the law of God, then we must obey God rather than men. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Another example, God's law from the beginning is that marriage is for life. Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 3. But Jesus gave an exception the exception of fornication, whereby one may put away his maid. Matthew 19 and verse 9. Does the Bible give any exceptions to baptism for accountable people? Does it teach God's mercy will cover sins of ignorance or unconfessed sins? No, and we have no right to teach otherwise, though we might long for God's pardon on our loved ones who fall into these categories. We must not put a premium on ignorance. From Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, so having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent because he has set a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. To teach that God will overlook ignorance encourages ignorance and nullifies all exhortations to study, learn, and grow. Exceptions have a tendency to become the rule with a little help from their friends. Sprinkling was introduced as baptism when it was thought that a man was too sick to be immersed. It eventually became the rule for many mainline denominations. Divorce has almost become the rule of the day. If God intends for his mercy to cover any degree of ignorance, it was in his wisdom not to tell us ahead of time, lest we conclude that ignorance is bliss or what we don't know won't hurt us. On the other hand, while God has told us some of the conditions of mercy, 
Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35, Matthew chapter 25, uh, 31 and forward, James chapter 2 and verse 13. He has not told us exactly how it will be applied. No man on earth knows how it will be applied or at exactly what point he will place limitations. This is a secret area over which Christians should not speculate. From Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, so that we may follow all the words of the law. And then from Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and 34, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? So let's leave judgment to God. The, the song continues. There's a sad day coming. When the sinner shall hear his doom depart, I know you not. God hasn't asked us to determine the judgment beforehand. Our primary mission is to teach the truth of the gospel. If there are exceptions, we should teach them. If there are none, we should omit them. Doing otherwise can cause eternal consequences for the very ones for which we desire salvation. Likewise, we should not hem God into a corner with no room to change his mind. He is a just God. His judgments will be tempered with whatever mercy he thinks we deserve. Only he can determine that. Let us make haste and be busy teaching the gospel. This is urgent, for we each have only a limited amount of time. So, are you ready for that day to come? If we could help you to become a Christian in the waters of baptism, or if you're already a Christian and have something in your life that's, that's kept you from being holy, uh, please come forward while we stand and sing.